This morning we've got five different people who are going to be sharing. I think that's why we do have some visitors here today, some friends and family. But really we have just been through, I guess, about a 12-week process just talking about calling and gifting. And what we wanted to do at the end of that is get some people up front to actually fan into flame the gift of God that is inside of them and use their teaching gift, preaching gift, encouraging gift, whatever it is, up front to bless this church and hopefully encourage the rest of us to use our gifts too. Um, So what I wanted to say is because obviously these guys are a little bit nervous. Not all of them, but some of them are a little bit nervous. And I think we can really set them up for success today. So I wanted to ask you guys to partner this way. We've heard their messages. They are really, really good. So you guys know you're going to be hearing some good messages today. But as they come up, I think if you cheer and applaud and encourage them, it'll help them to feel like, okay, I can do this thing. I'm going to share really well. Secondly, open your hearts and expect that God could speak to you. These guys have all got something burning inside of them that they're going to share, and I think it really will bless you today. The third thing, and this is something I've never spoken about before, but just have an encouraging face. Like, actually, (laughs) some of you in this church don't know this, but during uh, the preaching times, you're like this. Hard face to preach to, you know? So be an encouraging face, not along, just engage with them a little bit. If you don't agree with what they're saying, that's fine. You don't have to lie or anything. Just don't be a grumpy face in the crowd. Build these guys up. So with that in mind, um, we really back these five. We think there's something unique and exciting that they're going to share. We think you're going to be blessed today. So I want to welcome up our first preacher, Miss Krista Schutz. Good morning, everyone. That was so encouraging. And let me check all your faces. Yeah, no one's grumpy. <laughs> Good. My name is Krista, and I'm so excited to be part of the seven minute sermons today. Seven minutes is a really short time, so I'm just going to go straight into it. And I'm going to start off being really vulnerable. Is that okay? Is this like a safe space for me? Okay. So um, I haven't been formally diagnosed or anything, but I've been struggling with something for quite a long time now. It's quite serious. It's a disease called. F-O-M-O. Has anyone heard of that before? <laughs> stands for FOMO, yes. <laughs> um, it stands for fear of missing out. So for those of you who are unsure, it's not a real disease, although I think a lot of millennials are suffering from it. But it is something really real in my life. I have this burning desire that I could be missing out on something. What if there's something good that I'm not going to? And um, I think I should probably maybe go to a support group for it. I don't know. I've heard they're really good because no one ever misses out. <laughs> but on a serious note, <laughs> thanks for laughing. It actually is quite serious for me at the moment because one of my really best friends, really good friends, has moved back to Vietnam and she is just going to have this life of adventure. She's going to use that as a traveling base to go all over the world. She's buying a motorbike. She's going to ride from the north of south, north to south of Vietnam and she's invited me to go with. And because I want to go so badly, that just sounds amazing. And so immediately I said yes, because that's just who I am. I'm a yes person. Those of you who know me know that. And I've always been quite restless, and I'm always just so ready for God to use me and send me somewhere. But a while ago, God actually spoke to me about this, and he said to me, you know, he's placed me in Durban for a reason, and I should love the person in front of me and do that which is in front of me. And so although I really wanted to go, I know that I have been called to stay here for now. (laughs) And I was actually reading a Bible passage the other day that really hit home for me on this. It was in Exodus 32, which is the story of the Israelites and the golden calf. And often when I read about the Israelites, I think we have a lot in common. It's embarrassed to say. 
But in this case, I realized we both have this thing about fear of missing out. I'm just going to summarize the story for you real quick. So at this stage in the story, Moses had gone up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And the Israelites are kind of back home in the desert, and they start wondering, maybe, maybe there's something more, maybe there's something we're missing out on. Is this God enough for us? And they actually build themselves a God made out of gold, and they start worshiping this God. Forgetting about this is the same God who had rescued them from slavery, who had parted the Red, you know, the Dead Sea. Is it the Dead Sea? Red Sea. And he'd done countless other miracles for them. And so I think God was really hurt at this stage. Um, and he felt rejected. Remember that God had also promised them to go into Canaan. And so although he is quite hurt and angry, he's also so faithful, just classic God. And he says to them, I will keep my promise. I will allow you to go into Canaan. I will even drive out your enemies so you can live there. But he says, I'm not going to go with you. And then there's Moses. Clever man. I love this guy. He realizes that that is not okay. He does not want them to enter the promised land without God. So he goes to God and pleads on Israel's behalf. And you know, God, once again, true to his character, he immediately says, yes, you've twisted my arm, I'm coming. I think he, he answered so quickly because he never really not want, didn't want to not go with them. But Moses is so pers- persistent. He does not want to go without God. So you ask again in 50, verse 15, he says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. And again, God is like, yes, I'm coming. (laughs) Like, let's go. And Moses, again, he asks for one more thing. It's almost like he's desperate, right? He does not want to miss out. He is hungry for God. And so he says in verse 18, God, would you show me your glory? What a request. And so God instructs him to go to to this mountain and then listen to this, the best part. The Lord came down in a cloud, and he stood there with him. Can you imagine? This is God, God of the universe, just standing next to Moses. I can't even imagine. And then while he's standing there, God proclaims who he is. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God's glory is revealed in his presence and in his character. Can you think of anything better in that moment? I mean, golden calf, what, what is that even? <laughs> and Moses' reaction is just to drop down and just to begin worshiping. And he leaves with his face literally radiating. Moses' life was significantly changed in that encounter with God. Sometimes when I read something like this, I have to remind myself that the same God of the Bible is the God that I have access to right now through Jesus. I think God, we, as we read, he did everything in his power to create a way by sending Jesus to die for our sins so that we could have access to him every single day. We don't have to send someone like Moses. We don't have to go to a specific mountain or wait for a special occasion. Right now, we all have access to him. John 15 verse 15 says, I have called you friends. You are a friend of God. So I have to ask myself, because I read this and then I say, but why don't I access them daily? And I believe that in my own life it's really been distraction and also the lie of what I perceive to be good. So what I'm saying is not that I think FOMO is bad. In In fact, I actually think we were wired that way so that we would pursue God, this feeling that there must be something more, something exciting. But I think sometimes we all have a kind of 
misplaced formula. And if you think about it, the original sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve was kind of this misplaced formula. While in paradise, they started wondering, what if we're missing out on something? And that very thought distracted them from that which was in reach, which was actually paradise with God. Louis Giglio once said in a sermon that we should stop sinning and believing the lie that anything is better than God. Anytime that we think that something else is better or more trustworthy or more secure than God, whether a golden calf or material possessions or a relationship or even experiences, we have, as Paul writes in Romans 1, exchanged the glory of the immortal God. What if what we think is good and appealing and important is actually just the devil's recycled scheme to distract us and keep us away from that which is really good and glorious? And how often do I have this fear of missing out on earthly things or sleep or comfort or security and sometimes even just five more minutes in bed? But actually, five more minutes with God can significantly alter and change my life way more than five minutes in bed can. And so hopefully today, that you've, I'm hoping that you feel as inspired as I am by Moses and just his hunger for God and how he will persist and not go anywhere without God. And I'm also hoping that we together as a church can be like a FOMO support group and encourage each other to pursue that which is good and glorious and encourage each other with the practices of um, praying and reading the Bible and attending community gatherings and most of all, abiding in God five minutes at a time. And I have a feeling that if we do that, this is going to be our most exciting adventure ever. Thank you. Good morning, Seth. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Dan. Good morning, Saints. Um, it's very encouraging this morning to be here. My name is Nwanda, for those who do not know me. And I've been a part of Harbour City for five to six years now. And what a privilege to be part of the preachers this morning and have an opportunity to share the message that God has placed in my heart. So just today, I would like to share a dialogue between Ruth and Boaz. A very famous story that is found in the book of Ruth um, in the Holy Bible. So if you have your Bible with you, you can page with me, or as the modern digital generation would say, scroll and click to Ruth 2, Ruth 2 verse 8 to 10. So while we find the scripture, I would just like to give a little bit of a background of who these people are. Ruth is a young woman from Moab. She's a non-Israelite who, after being widowed, had remained with her husband's mother, Naomi. She then accompanies and moves with Naomi to Bethlehem and later marries Boaz. Boaz is this wealthy landowner of Bethlehem in Judea and a distant relative of Ruth's father-in-law, um, Naomi's late husband. So in the scripture we are about to read is after Boaz had just noticed Ruth gleaning grain in his field and asking the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And this is the first conversation between these two strangers that is initiated by Boaz, who later becomes Ruth's husband. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, that's a very interesting way to approach somebody you're going to marry later. <laughs> Listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women you who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. 
I have told the man not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the man have filled. And this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? So there's this American comedy drama film called Wanda. I don't know if any of us have seen it before, but it follows this young boy called Ogie with um, Trencher-Colin syndrome. It's basically a genetic disorder that is characterized by the deformities of the facial features. And so when he attends fifth grade school for the first time after being homeschooled all his life, he experiences discrimination because of how his face looks. Some kids are laughing at him, and he even gets bullied because of his deformed face. And so my favorite part of this film is when Noah, another young boy from school, actually approaches Ogie to be his friend. And this one act or of kindness or initiative from Noah, it brings Ogie into a community, and his experience at this new school is completely different. He has gained a friend to share lunch with and a friend who goes to fight his bullies. And so I think some of us can relate to that feeling of being in a new space and just feeling you're different and you just don't belong. It's like as if everyone is holding up a board saying, you don't belong here, you know. So maybe because you come from a different country, maybe you're part of the lower class of families, maybe there's negative comments that has been placed on the race of people you're part of. And as you enter this new space, you feel like you're a foreigner and you just don't belong. And I imagine that's how Ruth may have felt in Bethlehem. She has left all that she knew, packed her life, and moved to a new city where she's a foreigner, a widow with no children. She is poor. She's a Moabite. And when you read Genesis 19, you actually find out that Lot's daughters got their father drunk, had sex with him without his knowledge, and that is how Moab is actually born. It is a caste nation, and that is where Ruth is coming from. She is an outcast. She is part of the lowest rank of the socialites, and to make matters worse, she takes on this difficult and even dangerous task of survival by gleaning on the grain. Right. She's bearing the humiliation of begging and the shame of picking over a depleted harvest field. And while our effort is, ne- I'm sorry, and while our hope is never in our effort, God in His mercy gladly receives that Ruth has humbly offered, and He transforms it something way more than she could have done on her own. And so in the scripture we just read, we see Boaz noticing Ruth. And so he sees this new woman walking in his, in his field. And in seeing her, he chooses to take an initiative to pa- approach someone he's never met before. It's a foreigner in the city of Bethlehem. It's a foreigner in his land. And this is probably a very awkward conversation to start with a stranger because you have absolutely no idea what they would respond to would be. So but Boaz and his boldness, and initiative, he said this powerful affirmation of adoption for Ruth to join God's people. Don't set your eyes anywhere else, but stay here. You are protected. And, and Ruth is a foreign woman. I can imagine she, with no husband, she may have been mistreated and abused easily. So this affirmation by Boaz to Ruth is almost like saying, you belong here. This is your family, and this is your home. 
Boaz gave Ruth many favors when she came to glean in his field. He blessed her along with others, saying, The Lord be with you. He told her to stay on his land and to keep with the woman, ordering the man not to touch her. He provided water for her. He commanded her for her loyal love to Naomi and prayed a special blessing upon her. He invited her to join in and share on the special harvest meal. He told his man to overlook any errors on Ruth's part and to leave extra grain for her. Boaz has gone out of his way to see and treat Ruth the way God sees her. And this can be very easy to do for people you already know, like friends and people you already trust and that you're more familiar with, and which got me thinking of a very interesting question that Jesus asked to the great multitude when he was ministering in Luke 6, verse 33. And he says, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefits is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And I remember the first time I moved out of home, um, it was when I was going to university, and, and I wanted a place to belong to. I was looking for a community, almost like a home away from home. And, and then I started my search of just finding a home, visiting clubs and societies around campus, and in every one of them, I never felt like I was noticed. So one Friday night, I went to Elton. It's a lecture venue where Redemption on Campus, um, a student ministry from Red Point Church used to meet. And I sat at the most back seat at L10. Um, and after the meeting, this lovely lady walked all the way up to the back to greet me. She asked who I was. She was interested in my life. And, and I was noticed. Like Boaz noticed Ruth, Nosipo had noticed me that night. That initiative by Nosipo in Elton impacted my campus life. And it completely changed the way I had experienced home. It gave me community. It gave me friends and family. It said, this is your home, and you belong here. And this is a picture of Jesus and how he sees a foreigner, the one standing alone, the one who have been uprooted from their family and everything they know. He provides a place for them. He provides the family. He provides the community, and he provides a home. He becomes a refugee, and he says, don't leave this place. Stay here. I will protect you. And God is showing his concern for the poor through Boaz. He is seeking an outcast as his family. This is a character of God that helps us understand the character of the gospel and the character of Boaz, that God is kind and he shows favor to the foreigner and his love is so ready to welcome all those who tend to him because God sets the loan into families. And it's like people like Noah in the movie. People like Boaz in the, in the book of Ruth and Nosipo and Elton that have deeply challenged me to go out of my way to affirm, to love and protect the one standing alone. To open my circle and to see and treat the foreigner the way that Jesus does. Boaz has gone beyond to change Ruth's experience in this new city in Bethlehem and that has set her into family. And I'm massively changed by that type of city. And I hope and encourage you to be challenged and you can care for the one standing alone. And if you today, you're that person feeling like you're different, like a foreigner, I want to affirm you that you can stay here, that this is your home, and you are protected. Thank you. You guys are doing well on the encouragement front. Keep it up. 
And those have been two such good intro sermons, you know, the glory of God and God putting the lonely into families. We're going to have like a little uh, testimony interlude now. Uh, our third message today is going to be an interview. So I've asked uh, Mr. Jerry Yeung Cho to come forward. And I want him to share his story with us a bit today. Thank you so much for that. But Jerry uh, has got a very different story to many of us in this room, uh, which he's going to share with us. I don't want to spoil that at all. But I think the story that he's going to share with us today is going to be one that we can all relate to. And um, maybe our story will look different, but I think there's some gospel application which will be significant for us all. So, yeah, you're a wonderful man. He's actually my next-door neighbor, just so that you know that. (laughs) You're a wonderful guy. Uh, He's a doctor. He's an artist. He's a photographer. He's a model. He's a whole lot of different things. (laughs) But... um, I don't want to, I don't want to like just puff him up too much this morning. I guess, uh, what I wanted to say firstly is, yeah, you've got a very different background to most of us in this room. I thought, could you maybe briefly tell us about where you're from, uh, what your story looks like and the context that you grew up in? Thanks, Grant. Um, I just have to say, like, I didn't think I'd be so emotional, but that was, that actually brought me to tears there. It's very relevant to what I'm going to say, but yeah, so, um, I was, <laughs> I was born in, <laughs> no, don't worry, that's good. Um, yeah, I was born in Burma, in Yangon, in Southeast Asia, um, just sort of north of Thailand. Came to South Africa at the age of eight months to Mafeking in the Northwest. Left the country when I was six years old to Singapore for two years, and like my dad couldn't get a job there, so he had to come back. So after two years, we came back to South Africa to Pretoria. My mom now couldn't get a job in Pretoria as a dietitian, so... My sister, myself, and my mom, we went back to Singapore. My dad stayed here because his job was working out. So from the age of 10 till 20, um, we stayed in Singapore and he stayed in South Africa. And I came back for varsity at the age of 20. And yeah, so there was a lot of ricocheting to and fro between Singapore and South Africa, between like social and cultural environments. And yeah, people some didn't really understand me. In Singapore, people would call me like banana like white on the inside, yellow on the outside. I sounded Western to them. Um, they wouldn't understand Africa. They would think like it's a place of like lions and giraffes. Um, and in, in South Africa, when I'd come back, you know, people would think that I was either Chinese, Korean, Japanese. They'd come up to me and say, ni hao. And, and uh, I'd reply, ni hao as well. So I didn't do myself <laughs> any favors there. But I mean, just generally, um, I had friend, like a multicultural group of friends, multi-religious group of friends. Um, I really developed an openness and respect uh, to people from different backgrounds. Um, yeah. So with uh, that kind of background and just the context and countries you grew up in, what is kind of the story of you becoming a Christian and beginning to follow Jesus? What does that look like? Yeah, so, um, I was, I'm culturally a, well, I was culturally a Buddhist. Uh, I was even a monk at the age of 13. Uh, and then, you know, I was atheistic and I thought that I could explain the world through the natural sciences. And then sort of late in my teens, I explored the more philosophical and spiritual side of Buddhism. Um, and then around 2013, I went to Bali with a, with a Muslim friend of mine, actually, and I really felt there, I don't know, like, Bali is an, very spiritual place, and I just felt convicted like there was something more, you know, there was, there had to be like a supreme being, a creator, um, and I actually explored Islam and the teaching of Islam, but that just didn't, you know, cut it for me, um, and I also watched Life of Pi, which really changed me weirdly, 
Um, and then, so later in my past three years, um, so Josh Tipu was right there. I went to his family's house church uh, on Sundays, and that was like the first time that I felt like this loving welcome that, you know, you could have family besides your own family. And um, just coincidentally, they were going through who was Jesus, and I found that just a really fascinating discussion. Um, and I started reading books. Mere Christianity was one of them, and I really related to that book. And I sort of prayed uh, for, like, I didn't know whether God existed or not still. And I just kind of prayed and said, hey, God, you know, if you exist, I really am opening my heart up to you. And I had a series of dreams, which I won't get into, but I think that really uh, sealed the deal for me. Because kind of like in the real world, I can be quite cynical. Uh, but in my dream world, I'm quite vulnerable. Yeah. I think um, part of the story that's really struck me is that over the years you've shared some of the wrestles that you had after you became a Christian with things like ethnicity, identity, race, culture, family, religion, and your background uh, because of the decision that you've made to follow Jesus. And I just thought maybe you could describe some of those wrestles to us and also just the reality that actually it was a sacrifice. It was costly for you to become a Christian and to decide to follow Jesus. So... Could you describe those to us? Um, so I think a big thing was when I became Christian, I was struggling with the fact that it looked very Western to me, you know. And I don't want to speak about color, but I thought it was like really white. And and like I would see album covers, and there would be like a well-groomed white person there. And look, I'm Asian. No, I'm sorry, dude, but like <laughs> that's really what I'm, I was wrestling with. Um, and <laughs> just got that one right. Um, but yeah, but I'm like Asian, and I'm so used to very passive uh, sort of religious experience, Buddhism being very, I guess, like very quiet and simple, um, you know, just chanting and meditation, that's pretty much it. Um, and then here, like, you know, you see lots of guitars, lights, stages. And so I wasn't really used to that. Um, and the whole community was really new. So the only thing that I really had was my faith, like, when I was wrestling with that. Um, and also, my identity was rooted in my family because of the sort of uniqueness of hopping around and not having, uh, like, an anchor, um, like, my family meant everything, what they thought of me. Um, and I, I'm, like, living away from my family now for many, many years. And so it's not just a physical distance that I have with my family, but now I was having a spiritual distance. So I really felt like I was betraying my family. And we had discussions. With, they were tough discussions, really tough. And the spiritual distancing was real. And it's, in some sense, it still is today. Um, and, yeah, I just hated the fact that, like, my faith was making me feel separated. Like, once I was in my family and away from God, now I was in God and away from my family. So I just didn't like that dichotomy. So I'm sure there's probably some other people in the room that can um, identify with that or relate to some, if not all, of that. Um, so I guess the last question I want to ask you is, despite the cost, despite those wrestles, despite how hard maybe some of becoming a Christian has been for you, uh, why is the gospel still good news? Um, and why do you continue to choose to follow Jesus despite the cost of it all? Um, so I see many parallels between sort of Jesus' story and my story. Um, so he left his father in heaven. He was separated from his father's family, his home. And he came to earth and he was misunderstood, he was rejected, and he was persecuted on the cross, and he was forsaken by his father, you know, to die for our sins and to give us this gift of 
like renewal and restoration of our lives uh, through his resurrection. So that was just an incredible story that I could resonate with. And yeah, into that, I stepped in faith. And I didn't know what was going to happen, to be honest. Um, but like through time, I just felt this renewal. Like I was a sort of a, a, a changed son in my family. And I, you know, I honored my parents in a whole different you know, way. It was like foundational, the love that I had for my family. So from this like feeling of separation, initially I started to see that you know, I was actually getting closer to my parents on a much deeper level. And I think a big thing with this whole multicultural, this foreigner thing um, is like uh, in my walk, God's really given me this incredible gift of grace where he's made me understand that like we've been made not to be misunderstood, but really in Christ to be known, and that we're here on earth to like witness and engage in these diverse stories of uh, everybody around us, the unique and diverse stories of everybody around us in relationship and community. And yeah, I really see that as a celebration of diversity. And I feel my identity now, after experiencing this walk, really is something that I can firmly and like I can anchor myself in in Christ and that's been liberating yeah I mean it's still look it's not perfect it's still definitely a journey but I'm glad I don't feel that dichotomy anymore yeah yeah and I'm gonna go off script here but um if there was one encouragement you could give to the church off of your story of how um we could respond to your message and maybe something that you've learned um in your life and in your experience, what would that be? You know what? I think a big thing is, look, I personally have always had an issue with sort of like exclusivity, right? And if anything, my experience has one, it was one where I was, like I'm, I still am the minority, for example, in this hall. And the fact that, you know, you guys can include me or like the faith of Christianity can include me uh, is an incredible testament to what the, the power of the Christian faith. And so if I can encourage like everyone here, I think it's really to sort of open our hearts to people who aren't even Christian, by the way, like or people who are, are like of different religions and to not go in with a preconceived notion of what they believe. Um, because I had so many different philosophical and spiritual thoughts. And really my friendship with Josh was critical to this, like, his openness to engage with all these different facets of like thought patterns I was having was actually an open invitation to a journey that I'm walking on today, which I actually thank you so much for that. So, yeah, I'll really open your hearts and you'll see people be drawn into that and walk the life that you would love to have more. Let's give you a round of applause. That was brilliant. Too. I know these are short, sharp, punchy messages, um, and I hope that you are taking something from each one like I am. Next up, we have Mr. Ayanda Awesome Nene coming to share some more fire with us this morning. Yeah, morning, everyone. Um, as Gran said, <laughs> as Gran said, my name is uh, Ayanda Nene. Most people, yeah, they, they do call me awesome. Yeah. I think me as a person, naturally, um, 
I'm laid back type of guy. I don't like engaging with people. I love uh, knowledge. I love reading. And somehow it's um, it's a challenge on how to love people. I think like I, I was uh, very convicted by this message I'm going to share with you. I think because it's also personal to me as well. Uh, I want to share with you uh, Galatians uh, 6 verse 2. Bear one another's, another's burden and so, and so for, fulfill the love of Christ. I think for me, it is so powerful to me. You know, like um, when I read this, I was reminded of a, of a song, uh, Tears of a Clown. I'm not sure if you, everyone knows it. But like uh, Tears of a Clown is a song that was composed by Stephen Wanda and written by Smokey Robinson. And the song basically, it's a Tears of a Clown. It was inspired by the Pidiashi, the clown, which was the Italian clown in the circus where everyone would come to the circus just to watch it. Like, it used to be food to be filled. And then one day they, they found the Pidiashi crying in his, in his uh, dressing room. And uh, when they asked him, like, why, did you, why are you crying? Like, because like, everyone loves you. Like, you have so much money because people are paying to come to your show. And he said, like, he feels so lonely, and he feels not loved, and he needed the love of a woman. I think for me, it's like, uh, when I read this, I was reminded, like, we feel lonely sometimes. We do feel, like, separated from everyone. Like, we, we're crying in our locker rooms. I don't know what your locker room, your locker room looks like, but, like, we do feel, like, separated from people, and we feel, like, disconnected, and no one cares. You know, like, but like you're not alone. Jesus felt like that. He was more accumulated. But like, worst of all, the separation of God hit him the most. As we see in Matthew 27, he says, and he says, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think like Jesus uh, can identify with you, can understand your pain if you're feeling like that today. Um, there's a, one verse from the Church of Clan which I, I like the most. Sorry, if you can. This verse. Now if I appear to be carefree, it's only a camouflage to my sadness and honey to shoot my pride and try to cover this head with a show of gladness. Then let my show convince you that I've been happy. I don't know, I've felt like this so many times before where you have to go to a place and you have to pretend that you're okay. I think last year for me was a tough year. Uh, I lost my, my mother, and I was like, uh, I was just doing the, the job that I didn't like. Like everything seemed not to be going my way. And at that time, when you're feeling like that, it seems like it's forever. Like this is gonna be like your story. But like, um, I know like some of you maybe you're going through something even worse. What I went through, and you don't wanna let people in. You're just shutting down. And no, like, like you feel like no one really can understand. Jesus can understand. I can understand. So does the church can understand. We're meant to bear one another, bear one another's burden and fulfill the love of Christ. I want to ask you today, is like, if you, you have your dressing room or locker room where you're crying, you said the church is not supposed to be the place where you go and cry to. And I encourage you that like 
you can come here as Hapa City to anyone. The scripture says you all ministers. And you all can understand your pain. You can bear your pain. You can share each other's pain. No, uh, on John, uh, John, John 34, sorry, uh, on John 13, verse 34, it says, and you will come and relate to you that you love one another, just as I loved you, so you need to love one another by others. People will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. I think for me, it's like, as I said, like, I'm a laid back type of guy, like, it's hard for me to, like, to love people that way. But like as a church, I know as I've been through the I've been through the pain, I can also understand if you're going through something that we you can I can bear your pain, Jesus can bear your pain. The church is meant to bear your pain. In Corinthians twelve, in First Corinthians twelve, it says you are one body, and if one body suffers. We all suffer. I encourage you, like, if you are suffering, you think you're alone, but like we are suffering with you, you can let us in, we can feel your pain. And we can encourage you that there is a Prince of Peace. And we will encourage you that there's nothing can separate you from the life of Christ, as I felt. Because when you're going through these things, you feel like, you have doubts about God. You feel like this idea of God may be not true because why a good God to leave me in this place like this? The truth is he hasn't. He's put you in a place, in a church like this, that we can share each other's burden. And you want to know your burden. I know it's scary. Like for people to see your brokenness and see that you don't have everything working together for you. And you want to close in to protect yourself. I know. I remember when I was going through this, I would come here at the church and people would ask me how, how I'm doing. I would say, I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. But there was this hurt in my heart. And there was this pain. Because I knew if they, I told them, if I told everyone of you I'm going through, I was going to cry. And I wouldn't let you see me cry. <laughs> 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 But Christ is, uh, oh, Paul is um, saying like we should. I think if you're feeling like you have something that is been you've been through, God is encouraging you that you share. And us as a church, it's our responsibility to share your burden with you. I want to encourage you today. Like, like, yeah, share the story. If you're feeling that like you have disconnected from your families, this gospel thing has separated you, we here as a church, we feel your pain, we want to go this with you. If you're suffering alone, if you're dealing with sin alone, you're saying, like, if I tell people this, they will see me no longer as this person, will see me as that sin. We're saying, like, as a child, we're not, we're not supposed to do that. We want to love you. We want to shape you in the ways of Christ. Yeah. I think for me, I can testify for this, that I think for me, it was last year was the worst year I think for my, in my life. But it is a, the same year that I experienced God. Like I've, I've never felt God's presence than than the last year, when you have nothing to rely on but Him. 
I can testify for you like she's the hope. Jesus is the hope. I'm not sure, I'm sure like when I said that like Jesus is the solution, you might not understand the situation. I, I don't, maybe. But like she is the solution to all the pain. It's the salvation can. It's convinced to take that you can take his peace. The Bible says his peace is unexplainable. It surpasses all knowledge. Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to speak about hope, which might be um, semi-relevant after what I said so beautifully. It's really touched me. Um, <laughs> so funny, I'm saying sorry when he's just said we shouldn't be. Anyway, hilarious. So anyway, <laughs> um, so I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever put your hope in something and it's completely shattered you because it's let you down. And um, I've done this many times, <laughs> not once, not twice, thousands and thousands of times. I've put my hope in something and it has completely broken me when this thing that I've believed would be essentially my savior has crushed me. <laughs> and this is while I've been Christian, by the way, not when I haven't been Christian. Even while I have uh, loved Jesus and been a Christian, I have totally put my hope in this. <laughs> I've totally put my hope in other things. And um, this is because humans um, are intrinsically and undeniably hope-based creatures. In his book, The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope, Andrew Dalbanco says the following, the heart of any culture is hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. We must imagine some afterlife that transcends our tiny allotment of days and hours, that keeps at bay the dim back-of-the-mind suspicion that we are adrift in an absurd world. Hope as a concept, a concept contemplates the possibility that there is something better out there for us, that there is a reason to live. And you'll agree when you think about what we hear and are told every day, that there is always something out there for us to live for. The new iPhone is coming out, there's a new wife or a new, whatever it is, if you work in, you know, in a year's time, you'll get a promotion. In three years' time, you'll get a salary increase. There's, if you don't have those things, what do you live for? And that concept is because our expectation of the future determines our experience of the present. So maybe a good example of that is, we all know Brendan, he's a hardworking man. And I come up to Brendan, I say, Brendan, I know your job is hectic, but I have great news. In a year's time, you're going to be the recipient of an enormous fortune and you will never work again. Brendan might have very stressful things come across his desk in the next year, but I can almost guarantee you they will not phase him because he'll think, this time next year, I'm not going to be here. It's not going to be my job anymore. His expectation of the future has determined his experience of the present. You know how like when people resign from their jobs, the last week they just like chill, walk around, go chat to people. Their expectation is that they're not going to be there anymore, so they don't mind. It's And, and if you start thinking about the things in your life, the things that you are, why are you at your job? Maybe it's because you expect something from it in the future. Imagine if you stopped expecting something from it. There was no expectation left. What would your present be like? And so I guess I'm asking, like, what does your present look like when all your expectations have come crumbling down? Because 
to uh, maybe get ahead of myself. If your expectations are not in Jesus at some point, they are going to come crumbling down and speaking to myself in this situation. Um, a pastor in America said this to, to his congregation. He said, think about the thing that is making you feel hopeless. That is the thing that you have your hope in. And um, Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 24 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. A life built on anything but Jesus will come crumbling down at some point. It's happened probably to all of us before in small ways and maybe great ways, but it will happen when it's not on Jesus. Jesus is a good father. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never run out on you. He'll never make you feel abandoned and alone. Those are feelings that we feel when we step off the rock and we step onto the sand. Jesus is truly the only hope of your, for your life. People will hurt you. Money will run out. Success will come and go. But Jesus will stay as a constant no matter what happens in your life. He will always be enough. And those other things will never, ever enough. Jesus' love and salvation will literally satisfy you for the rest of your life in every area that you need. He is hope and glory in our lives. In uh, John uh, 4 verse 13, Jesus meets a woman at a well where they're drawing water from, like they did in the old days. And he uses the water. Maybe they were gathering around a tap in 2020. But um, Jesus uses the water as an analogy. And he says, he says to the lady, um, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water ever again. Jesus is saying to us in 2020, or 2019 rather, whew, getting ahead of myself, saying to us in 2019 that everything that you are chasing after that is not him will never satisfy you. And I'm telling you this out of... Um, I'm not telling you because that's not a nice thing to say, but I will say that my my personal experience after having put my hope in so many different things, mostly my job, has broken my heart in a way that I, I can't I can't describe to you. And I don't want you to go through that. And maybe you have already gone through it. And if you have, you probably don't want other people to go through it too. So maybe you'll agree with me that Jesus is the only hope for your life. Truly, because when I have done that, when I've taken my false house of hope, my, my house of false hope built on the sand and I've relocated onto the rock, things have changed. I've found hope for my life. I haven't felt depressed. I haven't felt sad. I, so many different feelings, but <laughs> placing your expectations in anything uh, then Jesus will ultimately determine a present that leaves you feeling disappointed and hopeless. But placing all your expectations, dreams, hope, identity, and life in Jesus will satisfy every need you have.
So maybe 2019 has been a little bit tough. Maybe it hasn't. But maybe you don't feel like you have the legs for 2020. Maybe now is a good time to ask yourself, what is that thing that's making me feel hopeless? Maybe that is the thing I have my hope in. And maybe now is a good time to ask Jesus to break down that house of false hope and to relocate it and rebuild it on the rock that is him. Thank you. I think like listening to those five talks today, um, it's almost interesting just the themes that come up again and again and again. You know, it's the glory of God, it's community, it's the gospel and Jesus, you know. It's basically like God and people is what we heard about today. And I would love you to almost just sit for a minute. If the band can come forward, that would be really great. But almost wherever it is you're sitting, if you could just think, what is my response to today? Like all of these things, you could just feel like you've been drinking from a fire hose, you've taken away too much content. But I think for all of us, there's probably a, how do we respond to God from a morning like this? And how do we respond to people from a morning like this? Uh, You know, do we need to start seeking the glory of God like Krista spoke to us about? Or do we need to start putting our trust in Jesus like Yaz spoke to us about? Or almost Yaz was down the middle, you know, the, the community and the gospel parts. Or is there a role towards the people in this church or the people of Durban where we need to carry other people's burdens and bring the lonely into family, you know, into community? So I'd love to just pray for us and then we can stand and respond and worship. But Lord, I just, I thank you for the five preachers up here today just sharing so passionately, so... I don't know, deeply, so beautifully. Um, And we do want to respond to your word this morning, Lord. So whatever it is you're saying to us, I pray we wouldn't miss it. There's something you want to highlight to each one of us. I pray we'd catch that thing and not leave here and just get distracted by the busyness of life. But even now, Jesus, would you speak your word to us? What do we do in response to you and your beauty, your glory? What do we do in response to the people that you have created and the people you love so much? Holy Spirit, would you help us to overcome the things that hold us back and empower us to do the things you're calling us to do. Amen.